You're listening to Business Made Simple with Donald Miller, Kula Callahan, and Dr. J.J. Peterson. I have a question for you. When's the last time you had a great idea? I mean, a really great breakthrough idea. If it's been more than a week, you're probably dealing with what I'm dealing with, and that is you are running redline. Today's episode is about what to do when you're redlining, when it's costing you creative energy. And we're going to interview my old friend, Juliette Funt, and she is the antidote to being redlined. She's the vaccine. She's got a new book out called A Minute to Think, and she's, she's going to talk about the benefit of actually slowing down and accomplishing less and doing nothing. Juliette is going to try to convince me that doing nothing will improve my life, will improve my health, will improve my relationship with my wife, will improve my relationship with my brand new daughter. Every time I say that, I want to cry. I'll do anything to improve those things, and Juliet's going to help. Juliet, we are all going back to work, whether we want to or not. It turns out you actually have to do work in order to feed yourself. <laughs> And we don't know how to do it. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering because everything is was chaos during COVID and now it's going back to quote unquote normal. It's a hybrid normal. How do we not just overwork ourselves like we were doing before this pandemic? Well, if we were overworking ourselves before the pandemic, I don't even know what the word would be for what we've been doing during the pandemic. That If you Im imagine a recruiter before the pandemic saying, I have a job for you and you're going to be on Zoom from about 6.30 a.m. to about 7 p.m. And if you need to take a bio break, you'll have to wait for a really chatty person <laughs> and then mute and run away while they're still talking. It's just a comedy and a tragedy at the same time. But now there's this shift happening and it's incredibly exciting. I think the conversations that are going on about return, first of all, there's this beautiful joy of return. If you see these pictures of people now getting to be next to each other and the smiles and the reunion, yeah. and I'm, I've been really moved by the tribal reconnection that's been happening. I have too, but it, it feels timid. I think you're literally going to have to see football stadiums filled with people Yeah, before you're sort of socially willing to yeah. go completely in. They're experimenting, but they're so grateful. They're so happy to be back together is what I see on their faces. Now, on a leadership level, though, there are there's a huge brewing conversation about where, where they will work, how many days a week, what, which real estate, should we train managers to have anti-bias training to equally favor home? It's all about where, 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 where. And I'm really concerned that there's a conversation that is not happening about how we work. Because this is, this, I wouldn't quite say we have a blank page in front of us, but we are doing a reset. And we have an opportunity, I think, to undo dysfunction and waste and tolerated misery of the way that things were before, because this is a fresh page. And I, I'm not hearing enough managers talk about the how. So in our philosophy, we want everybody to take a big fat pause mm -hmm. and step back and say, uh, let me not miss this spectacular opportunity for the redesign of my culture, that it can be anything that I want it to be right now, unless it's mindless, unless we just roll back in with a few bad habits from before the pandemic and a few bad habits from during the pandemic, and we just mindlessly continue. And so that how conversation is where I'm feeling really passionate. Well, your book is called A Minute to Think, 
And it basically talks about a theme that you've had for a long time, and that is creating white space. That's creating this, this margin in our lives in which to encounter creativity, in which to encounter inspiration, and in where new products come from, where little relational exchanges happen that deepen bonds. I got to tell you, you're my doctor. You know, there's a doctor that you go to in order to, you know, get your nose fixed. The doctor you go to in order to deal with your heart, doctor. You're the doctor I go to, uh, metaphorically, when I'm entirely and completely overworked. And Mm. I will willingly overwork. I don't Mm. mind it. But I got to tell you, I've hit, in, in the past, I've hit the law of diminishing returns. Where I hit the point where the more I work, the less quality my work is, the less effective it is, and the less it grows my company and helps me, you know, accomplish my objectives. So I'm an unwilling subscriber to your way of thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you wouldn't redline a Porsche the way you redline yourself or an employee. You wouldn't take a highly tuned machine and... This is every high achiever has the same story of this seductive allure of the busyness and the quantity. And I absolutely feel it too. That's I'm the, I'm the sickest rat in this experiment for sure. <laughs> You've that's learned that's from experience, why I, yeah. I get back there. Yeah. Every time. So, so I think that for people who go toward the recuperative use of a pause of open time, that they're looking at that from a human perspective of, I have to reboot my exhausted brain and body. And there are some people for whom that's the most exciting usage. But for a lot of high achievers, they go, yeah, uh, recuperation, uh, yeah, take it or leave it. They only will become inspired from the idea of open time if it's a creative doorway into more possibility. And it absolutely is, because if you look at an MRI scan of a brain where someone is quote unquote doing nothing, their brain is absolutely on fire with all sorts of different activity in the default neural network. But what it looks like on the outside is this. Just thinking, just pausing. And so it's like a beautiful inviting vacuum into which things can flow, but you have to hold the door open. I literally just went to a place here in Nashville where they scan your brain. And they scan your brain to see how well the 21 parts of your brain are talking to each other. And some of those have to do with, you know, if this part of your brain's not working well, you have trouble thinking of the word. You're like, oh, what am I trying to say? You know, Mm -hmm. you do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another part of your brain, if it's not working well, you have trouble showing restraint. If another part of the brain's not working well, you have trouble making a decision. There's 21 parts. And she scanned my brain, showed it, and put it up on the screen. And she kind of stepped back and she goes, oh, now, she didn't know anything about me. She didn't know who I was. She didn't know anything. She goes, she goes you're, you're like a CEO. Oh. And I'm like, I am. I mean, I am. I have a small company. Does. She goes, you're having to make decisions really, really fast. And, and I said, yeah. And she goes, 20 of 21 parts of your brain are working in a deficiency. <gasps> my wife I said, want to write a whole book about that. My wife said, that explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's like you're just running, 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 and you don't stop. And and that was the thing, Juliet, that convinced me. It was like, you got to – but let me ask you an honest question. So take – wait, wait, wait. No, because I want to say what you – before the honest question, I promise I'll answer your honest yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. There's a foundational metaphor that we need to get in here, which is think about building a fire. If you want to build a fire, 
you are going to have certain materials in front of you. You might have newspaper, dry pine needles, soft wood so it can catch and hard wood so it can burn a long time. And if you're going to put all those materials into a pile, you're going to fail to make a fire unless you add one critical ingredient, and that is space. It's the space, the air, the space in between the combustibles is what makes the flame ignite. And we are the same. Our brains, our work, our teams, if there's just no space in there. And so uh, there is an instinctive hunger, thirst for that space that I think parallels the, the brain science that you just talked about. Well, here's the honest question. And I don't think the answer matters because I think I've had to grieve something. What I, The first thing I told myself was, well, if you give yourself space and the rest that this doctor is prescribing, eventually you'll accomplish more. <laughs> and on the way home, I just thought, that's your whole freaking problem, Miller. <laughs> You're always trying to figure out some angle to get more done. And maybe you need to just grieve the fact that you've done enough and you need to accomplish a, a little less and you need to enjoy life a little more. And maybe then there'll be some room for the great creative idea, but you're going to have to regulate this engine and you just might not be able to go as fast as you want to go. Do you think that was a good epiphany? Or I mean, you're not somebody who would say, look, you can have it all. You can have rest and you can make more money. You can have, are you, you're well, not that. Yes, you, you don't can believe have rest that. and make a lot of money. Well, but I mean more, you know, like more than if you don't rest. Right. But we're trying to decide whether or not both are possible before we actually take apart the question and say, what is this insatiable seductiveness of more about? Why do you, a man who has done so much, who's moved so many people, who's accomplished so much financially, uh, scope, fame, why do you need to be so large in order to feel satisfied and, and enough? I think that's the question that I think that we all have to step back from. Yeah, I wonder if it's, I mean, part of it is probably the need to feel large. Mm -hmm. But it, I think that's, that's a little part of it. But I wouldn't say that's as much as I would be accused of. I would say because it's exciting and it's fun. You know, it's a little more of the experience of it than the result. Absolutely. But the laser-like application of those talents to create slightly fewer things that still are filled with joy and accomplishment and creativity, I have found in my own career to be just as satisfying as tripling the amount of those things and having them be the same. I, I don't think that scale always equates to an incremental increase in the pleasure of that creative process or that yeah. leadership process. And scale is, is working against us in terms of our humanity. If we were robots and we could just keep upping the ante and we would never have a cardiac event, a marital event, children who don't know our, you know, what are we look like, if we never had the risk of any of those consequences from overwork, then maybe more joy through work would be a good thing, but that's not the case. You said something that really scares me because my, my grandfather had a heart attack, died instantly at 62. My uncle had a heart attack, died instantly at 62. And then my doctor tells me I've got what's called the widowmaker gene. Hmm. <laughs> it's literally like, you're going to die of a heart attack at 62. And my doctor has also said, that's not going to happen on my watch. This stuff is very preventable. We're going to do some diet stuff. We're gonna, you know, so I'm not too worried. 
But the common story is everybody believed what Juliet Font is saying after the heart attack. You know, it, it, right. it's all, it, you hear that over and over. It's like they had to have a heart attack. Right. And that's, you got to hit the wall in some way, especially men, sorry to say. Uh, men tend to have a little harder time until they reach that pain point and then, aha, now they're woken up. But that that one pain point of scaring you into using space through the fear of your own mortality is such a narrow and singular option within the big menu. Think about the different kind of connection you're going to have with that daughter from being more present because when you're pretending to be on the floor playing blocks with her, but you're really thinking about marketing, you could actually learn the skill to stop that. And imagine the differences in your pleasure from, I think you're learning cooking, somebody told me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a hobby now. Yeah. I cook. So the cooking, the wife, the baby, the whatever joy from nature you get if you look out a certain window and it just touches you all the way down, all of those things intensify in the color spectrum when there's more space around them. And at work, we have more creativity, strategy, all the good things. So I think, yes, being afraid of a heart attack is one way to motivate space, but I don't think it's the only way. <laughs> there's also positive incentives. All right. Being motivated to create space, which I am, you talk about in your book, again, A Minute to Think, you talk about a strategic pause. And a strategic pause is really the access or the doorway to this white space that we all need. It's how we get into the white space. Explain what you mean by that. We define white space. You'd hear it in graphics design as blank space on the page, but our definition is time with no assignment. And the, the name came from years and years ago doing executive coaching where we would open up a paper calendar and we would see certain squares that were white. And we would realize that an area without ink on it, that that emptiness in the day was a beautiful vacuum into which all sorts of possibility would flow. And so these white spaces in our day, whether they are a 10-minute gap between Zoom meetings or whether they're 30 seconds before walking in your front door at night, that these gaps create that space, that oxygenating, beautiful space. The way that we call white space forth is we take a strategic pause because anytime you stop what you're doing, white space appears. And so this very, very simple relationship between pausing and the benefits of white space starts to show itself. And we use the pause in a lot of different ways. You can take a strategic pause to recuperate. We talked about that. Just that's, uh, I'm so tired. I just need to, uh, right? But there's other ones. There's a strategic pause to reflect. And this is really where you stop the machine of activity in order to be kicking in the objectivity about what you're doing. To look at, this is what we were talking about, about the how of work to reflect on what do we want in the next chapter and how should work feel? That's to reflect. There's a strategic pause to reduce, which you and I talked about on our last podcast together. That's the, what we call decrapifying the workflow. <laughs> yeah. It's taking a pause to see that emails and meetings and decks and reports and all this weight is actually unnecessary and looking at where you can let that go. And then lastly, a strategic pause to construct. And you talked about this before. This is blocking open time, time without a particular assignment to noodle on fill in the blank, the next idea, to empathize with a client, to step into your viewer's perspective. Uh, this creative time is where we use thoughtfulness as a constructive business tool. And all of those things begin by just stepping off the moving walkway for a moment or two. It all sounds so ethereal, but I just read an article about Jeff Bezos and how he often conducts a meeting. I don't know if you read this. I'll try to send it to you. 
he'll go into a meeting with a bunch of people and he'll he'll pass out a memo that I think he's not sent beforehand. He'll literally say, hey, we're going to take five minutes. We're all just going to read this in silence. And then we're going to take 15 minutes when we're done. And we're just going to kind of lean back and close our eyes. And then we're going to start this meeting. <laughs> this is the wealthiest man in the world. This is the wealthiest man in the world. And he's saying, we're going to open up by doing nothing. And then we're going to talk. Tell me about the science, though, that he, what did he discover? Well, he's doing a Ritz-Carlton version of the pause. He's doing 15 minutes is the reason that you find it ethereal and unattainable because nobody does 15 minutes. But if you did, if you learned in baby steps to just insert a wedge of a single minute and then five minutes, and sometimes you're using 15 seconds to just before the next thing. If you thought of it as little wedges of unscheduled time that were interlaced, I think perhaps it would start to seem more applicable and less ethereal to you. What do you what do you do with your brain during the 15 seconds or the minute? Do you literally just say, "Hey, let's just not think about anything for a second? Or, you know, does your brain go into problem solving or what what do you what what do you do? Is there a meditative aspect to it? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it's a common confusion. So meditation and mindfulness both have a gentle goal of having the mind to be softly directed. We're either looking meditation, we're looking at a candle, a mantra, breath, or mindfulness, we're looking at a certain sensory experience. And when the mind wanders off, as it does 80 million times a minute, we gently direct it back to that point of focus. But that is not what we do in white space. In white space, we are a dog in a park without a leash, and we're running anywhere we want, and that's exactly the difference between meditation and white space, there is no sense of return to focus. There is, what would your mind wish it could think about if it was completely at liberty? And that's where we end up turning creative corners that we hadn't expected. Man, it reminds me of the, you know what I miss? Reminds me of the days when I used to write different kinds of books and I just Mm -hmm. had all day, all Mm -hmm. day to think through things. And they were different books. I write business books now. I wrote memoirs then. But the ideas, the the best lines, they don't come to you when you sit down in the coffee shop. You, You actually go to the coffee shop and sit down with your computer to write down what came to you yesterday in the park. Mm hmm. Right. Right. They don't come to you. It's not on a schedule, the creativity and the good ideas and the genius. And the same is for business ideas. The same is for a new product design. The same is for your landing page. For empathy, for thinking about somebody else, for thinking about your spouse, whatever. Absolutely. But I also, also want to talk about what we're doing with our time and how we're managing our time. And the reason we don't think we have time for white spaces because our time's, time is being taken by thieves. And you talk in the book, A Minute to Think, about the four thieves of time. And I will ask that you tell us what those are so that we have more time for white space. Yes, the thieves are the primary focus that we have to understand in terms of knowing what we're up against. And and what's really interesting about them is that they are actually all positive things. They are assets that have overgrown their pots. So the thieves are drive, excellence, information, and activity. And you wouldn't hire anybody who didn't have these four qualities. You wouldn't want a business that didn't have these four. But once they begin to morph, they're they're like a, there's a vine in Los Angeles called morning glory, and it's really beautiful and purple, and it starts to grow, and everybody drives by it and says, I want it in my yard. And then you plant it, and you realize it's choking the dog, and it's in the bike spokes, and it, it just 
takes over. And that's the thieves. They're beautiful and glorious and unstoppable. So what happens in the culture of insatiability is that drive rapidly becomes overdrive. Excellence becomes perfectionism. Information becomes information overload. And activity just turns into frenzy. And this is how we live and work. So these seductive forces keep tricking us into thinking, I'm just doing one more Google search. I'm just tweaking one more spreadsheet. I'm just adding one more project. And they keep us very much in the in the thin, stimulating realm of work, in, in the upper waters where we don't have time to go deep. And, and so understanding those thieves and being able to see them in your personality, in your choices, in your team, foundational to creating white space. All right, Juliet, you know, we're all on Slack. We're all getting constant text messages and Slack notifications and email notifications and on and on and on. Corporate communication really attacks white space, doesn't it? It absolutely does. So addressing the fact that disordered communication between a team can eat your white space is really one thing to just, it's very important to acknowledge that as a team. We have many strategies that we care about a lot. I can give you, I'll give you two favorites. Yeah. I'd love to hear it. So the first one I would talk about is, oh, we're talking about cooking. You are, you're getting to be a cook now, right? Yep. So you, you would understand this to say that chefs have different knives for different jobs. Yes. That there is cheese knife versus fish knife versus paring knife is there for a reason because every tool applies well to a different job. Same layover works well for team communication. The right tool for the right job. And we often don't do this very well. And it, to improve it, we want to think about two types of communication, that there are content pieces that fit into two-dimensional communication and content that fits into three-dimensional communication. Hmm. 2D would be simple, yes-no, fact-driven kind of two-dimensional information. 3D is nuance, creativity, maybe complexity, maybe challenge. That's three-dimensional. Now, what you want to do as a team to be more effective and have more white space is you want to match the right message with the right medium. 2D mediums, simple mediums, static mediums, email, Slack, text, chat. 3D mediums, I can see your face, I can hear your tone, your pace, phone call, video, face-to-face meeting. Now, where, where teams fail is they match incorrectly. So if you put 2D content, flat, simple content into a three-dimensional medium, like a meeting, you waste time. Hmm. Give me an example of that. I was at ESPN. They had 32 people in a room and they began the meeting by reading the schedule of sporting events that would be coming over the next two months. 32 people sat in a room to listen to a schedule being read that could have been a PDF. And that's one of those, I <laughs> yeah. sat in another meeting that Got could have it. been an email, right? Got it. So you're taking 2D flat content and you're putting it into a medium that should be 3D. So you're wasting time. You go the other way. If you take three-dimensional content and you put it in a 2D medium, you're compromising richness because you don't have all of the layers of interpersonal, you can't do eye contact, tone, gesture. So this example would be if you're in one of those email threads where it's just going and going and people are typing and typing, it's because you're trying to shove complicated or creative content into a two-dimensional flat medium. You're you're trying to talk around the fire. It's not working, yeah. And all you have to do is put 2D content in a 2D medium 
and 3D content in a 3D medium, and you'll be streamlined beyond what you could have anticipated. You can use this language as a team to direct communication, say, let's have a 3D about this, or you can use it to redirect. When you're in that sputtering email thread, you say, hey, let's flip this to 3D. Or you could be sitting in that boring meeting at ESPN and say, hey, can we, you know, it seems a little 2D. Can we maybe skip this and just send it out? And that it's a great piece of language that you can redirect with. So the other one that you and I have talked about before, I think, is the 50-50 rule. No, I'm familiar with the 50-50 rule. That it's 50, that there's a, that there's a piece of tension in your life, especially at work. It's always 50% your responsibility. It's not 100% somebody else's. Until you've asked for what you want. Once you've asked for what you want, you don't always have power. In other words, nobody can read your mind. Yes. You're silently simmering and stewing and hating something and wishing it wasn't so is not going to get something changed. So the idea of the 50-50 rule is that you have to practice the art of the well-phrased request, that you have to get good at saying, I want this, I need this, this is not okay with me. And that can be really scary at work. Tell me about the well-phrased request. How, how would you phrase a request so that it's done well? You want to first take the problem before you and vent about it. Get the emotional tension off of you. That could be a workout, a good cry. It could be blah, 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 blah to a friend. Then you want to empathize with the person who's driving you crazy. And that's the, that's the really big one is if you can be a method actor playing the role of them and think, what's my perspective? What do they think of me if I'm the one flipping that POV? What are the, how are they seeing my fault in whatever's going on? It can just soften you in myriad ways, just kind of trying on that role. Then you prepare what you want to say without shame if you need to write it down first, if you need to rehearse it first, if you need to practice with a friend. These are tough communications sometimes, and so there shouldn't be any shame in preparing, and then you share. And so that, that process of get the emotions off, connect with the other human, do your homework, and then share it. I think that makes you safer in calling your request one that has a sense of art behind it. Gosh, this is so good. Uh, Juliet, I think as, as most of us go back to a hybrid kind of work and want to do life differently, now that life has changed, you've written a manifesto and a guide. The book is called A Minute to Think. If you want a free Q&A with just Business Made Simple listeners, Juliet has made an opportunity available. If you go to julietfunt.com slash businessmadesimple, you can register for a 30-minute Q&A. That sounds like good white space right there. That sounds like a good strategic pause. Only 1,500 of you are going to get in. We have 100,000 listeners on every episode, so you got to go now. Also, if you're on that Q&A, you get a book club guide. So if you've got a book club, summer book club, or if you want to prepare for your fall book club, make sure you grab that. Go to julietfunt.com slash businessmadesimple, and you can sign up. Juliet has been a friend for a long time. She is a guide and a counselor to me. You would do well to spend time with her. Uh, I think my, my daughter and I will have a better relationship because I know you. Aww. My wife and I have a better relationship because I know you. I probably won't have a heart attack because... In part because I know you, although I also take, I take, uh, you know, supplements <laughs> and get regular just exercise. Think of me as a, just think of me as another supplement. <laughs> you got to get your Juliet Fun supplement. You can get it in a, in a book called A Minute to Think. This book comes out August 3rd. It does. 
All right, Juliet, thanks so much. Thank you. Oh my goodness, I love that conversation so much. Thank you, Juliet and Dawn, for just causing us to pause, even in this moment, and rethink the way that we're living. And this is Dr. J.J. Peterson, and I just wanted to say how grateful I am for these moments, even on a podcast, where we can just kind of pause, learn something new, and figure out how we're going to apply that to live our lives differently. You know, about 20 years ago, I realized that being an adult (laughs) and being in the workforce, you don't kind of have these breaks built in as pauses like we did when we were in school, right? And so I realized I needed to pause and take what I call moments of demarcation. That when a season felt like it was just kind of going on and on and on, and I had developed some habits and patterns that I wasn't really excited about, and I didn't feel like were healthy for me anymore, that I couldn't just continue in my same patterns of work and expect that my patterns of behavior were going to change. I needed to pause. So I would take a day or sometimes two, and I marked the moment and said, all right, this is the end of this season. And that's what you can do with these pauses is just pause and say, all right, I'm going to mourn what I didn't love. I'm going to celebrate what I did, and I'm going to figure out how to move forward. And one of the things that actually has helped me incredibly is the Hero on a Mission course in the Business Made Simple platform. Whenever I need a moment to just pause and reflect on where life has been and where I want life to go, I go through this course because it really just helps me set goals and mission and purpose and refocus my life and offer a path forward towards a different type of living, different types of habits and patterns that can move me towards who I want to become. And you can find the Hero on a Mission course at businessmadesimple.com, where we have a number of courses that can help you not only figure out how to find mission and purpose in your business, but even in your personal life with Hero on a Mission. So go to businessmadesimple.com. You'll find the course there and take some time for yourself where you can figure out what the next season of life looks like and how to be creative in building the life that you want. About 20 years ago, I had a conversation that I will never forget, or at least I haven't forgotten it in the last 20 years. I was talking to a guy named Bob Hinn. Bob Hinn invented a chemical compound that you know of as Gore-Tex. It's the, it's the stuff that they put on jackets so that uh, rain you know, falls off the jacket and doesn't get you wet. Gore-Tex is actually not used primarily, and the most money they make is not off of jackets or, or rain gear. It's actually off medical devices. What they do is they take a medical device that uses Gore-Tex and they put it inside of your arteries, and it can actually prevent a heart attack or a stroke. Bob Hen invented that along with literally hundreds of of other chemical compounds and just brilliant genius stuff. Anyway, I was working through something and Bob said to me, you know, Don, can I just explain something to you? Cause you're, you're really trying to figure this out. I said, yeah, you know, this is frustrating, whatever problem I was thinking about. He goes, you know, in the scientific community, we abide this principle that nothing ever actually gets perfected that, you, you know, you're constantly having to overcompensate one way and then overcompensate another 
it's like the the wings on an airplane. They're never actually level. They're constantly going back and forth. And what he was saying to me was, you're not going to figure this out. You're not going to achieve perfection. Uh, there's always going to be this tension about this, this issue that you're thinking about. And it's true in so many aspects of physics, of science, of philosophy. There's always going to be stuff attacking our white space. There's always going to be stuff attacking our creative energy. We will have to manage this for the rest of our lives. The reason I think this episode is so critical, the reason Juliet's book, A Minute to Think, is so critical is when the plane wing dips down really far in one direction, she dips it back the other. She helps us self-correct. Uh, this podcast, send it to anybody, anybody uh, who's redlining in their lives. We have to self-correct. And today we got a tool that will help us do that. All right. Until next week, here's to growing your business. It can seem like the whole job of an entrepreneur is to worry, which is why the Business Made Simple podcast is here for you every week, taking the mystery out of growing your business. So if you got something out of today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Then go to businessmadesimple.com to see how our on-demand courses and live coaching events can give you the practical skills you need so you won't just sound like you understand business. You will actually know how a business works and how to grow it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.